The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. I am the host for the day on this Founders Features edition of the show. In the world of sales, the only constant is constant change. If you're in a high-growth B2B tech sales org, the pace of change is often so fast that sales leaders can get whiplash. Now think about it. If you as the sales leader is getting whiplash, how are your reports feeling? So how do you communicate the pace of change? How do you communicate the changes that are happening without losing your people? That's the question that we're going to tackle today. And joining us is our usual host, but he's playing the role of guest today, Lucas Price. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Jim. Thanks for filling in for me and happy to be on the other end today. I'm looking forward to this conversation on a number of different levels, because if we're thinking about the sales landscape today, especially the sales landscape over the last couple of years, there's been nothing but changes that have been happening. So I think this conversation is going to be extremely relevant. Now, before we dive into the meat of the discussion, I want to establish some context. And you've held just about every role within a sales organization. You've spent a lot of time as a sales leader, and you're obviously the founder of Yardstick as well. I'd like you to set the stage a little bit and give us some insight into the different changes that you've experienced throughout your sales career, both as an individual contributor and as a leader, and share with us a little bit about, in those moments, how those changes impacted your mindset. At ZipWhip, for instance, when I was the sales leader from less than a million dollars in ARR on the B2B side to built the team that took the company to over a hundred million dollars in ARR. When I started there, there was uh, three sellers and and we built a much larger team than that over time where about 70 people perhaps give or take in the organization. So there are lots of changes. Things were going well for us. The company sold for $850 million to Twilio a little over two years ago. But even when things are going really well, there's always changes that are really challenging and changes that affect people differently. And some people are going to be affected by negatively. And so I, it's, it was a time of rapid change. Like every 18 months in that job, it felt like a totally different job than it was before. And so dealing with change was a constant for sure. You joined the organization when it was fairly small and there was only a handful of sellers. There's three or five or 10 sellers there, and they were brought in the organization with a certain set of expectations. Now the team starts scaling. And with scaling and growing the team, you're going to have more reps, you're going to have more splitting of territories and all that sort of stuff. And all the people that were initially there are probably sitting there wondering, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't the story that I was told. How did you navigate that particular circumstance where there are probably some reps who are like, oh, I'm getting half my territory taken away or whatever, the commission plan's changing. How did you navigate that 
as an early leader within the organization? I think it was actually easier as an early leader because people were joining when it was early on to be part of the rocket ship, to a a growing company that has lots of opportunities inside of it. And so it was really easy to have conversations with people at that point in time where it's like, hey, if we succeed and if you're part of solving problems for us, then there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you within this company and it's going to generate opportunities for you outside the company. I think when it got more challenging was when the organization was bigger and now changes are affecting different groups disproportionately. There was a time when we looked at our customers and decided, hey, there's a certain group of customers who churn at a higher rate and they're not as valuable for us to go after. And so some of the sales reps who were selling to that segment of customers, we had to put them somewhere else. And there, at other times there were needs to move up market in various ways and hey, we can't start keep sell to this bottom end of this segment. We need to raise the prices and target the top end. We need to move away from monthly deals and we need to move into multi-year deals. So there was all types of changes like this that I think were more challenging that tend to become more prevalent later in the organization and are a little bit easier to deal with early on. Wow, that's really good. And it actually has me thinking because if I'm looking at it from the rep's perspective, so I'm I'm an early stage rep. Or maybe as we've grown, I'm a rep that was brought on that built a a specific set of skills in a niche. And now you're the sales leader who's telling me we're not going to service that niche because they churn too much. And I'm going to be pretty, pretty irritated with you because I've built months or maybe years of experience within this specific niche. So now I have to go learn a completely different niche. That's a recipe for a lot of churn on the rep side. So how did you navigate that conversation? Yeah, I think that the important part about it is really putting together a plan for how you're going to communicate it. And the plan is not a one-time thing. You're going to keep hitting it over and over again. And so what I was trying to Kate repeatedly to the whole sales organization before I had the individual conversations was, hey, change is part of our reality. And the company is going to have to do the things that are going to help the company succeed. And each of us individuals have a role to play in that. And there's two different attitudes that you can take towards that. One is, this is going to, I'm going to be a victim of the change. This is totally unfair to me. This sucks for me. I hate that the company is making these changes. That's one attitude you can have about it. The other attitude is, and I would try to tell our sales organization, hey, as a sales organization, we're going to lead the change. We're going to do what's best for the company. And when you do that, there's going to be opportunities. The changes are going to create opportunities. If you're currently a top performer in a segment that's going to be de-emphasized, it's an opportunity for you to go and show that you can be a top performer in a different context. And that's going to help your reputation at this company. And it's going to help you if you ever need to go get a job somewhere else that you've been a top performer in multiple different contexts and multiple segments. And so there's opportunities for either if you're not a top performer and your uh, cheese gets moved around, it gives you an opportunity to to be in a different context and show and, and become a top performer in a different context. So the first thing I tried to communicate to the sales team is like, hey, these changes are going to happen. It's inevitable. They're not just at this company. It's part of working in technology. 
and we have to decide who we how we're going to respond to them. And I tried to hit on those points over and over again because I know that the first time you talk to someone, a little bit sinks in, but you got to hit it repeatedly to get them to buy into why the company was doing what it's doing, and that and that it there are going to be some short term negatives for them, but they have an opportunity to make it a long term positive for themselves. So I I hear all of that, and I still have my rep hat on. And you said yeah. a bunch of stuff and I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, that's all good and fine. But right now, all I'm hearing from you is you're screwing with my paycheck. So that immediate sort of visceral reaction, what were the things that you did to mitigate or at least at least soften that initial reaction? In addition to that department-wide and company-wide communication about why the changes are coming and how we're going to respond to them, you also have to be listening to what the reps are saying and how it's going to affect them. And it's very easy to put a spreadsheet together that is going to send the company to the moon and beyond. It's going to be a rocket to the moon and beyond. And it's very easy to put magical thinking into that spreadsheet. And so you do have to be listening to the sales reps and listening to what's realistic. How do we accomplish the things that we need to accomplish? And there were times, one of the things that we did when the organization was larger like that is we'd build the first draft of a compensation plan. We'd share it with the managers. We'd get feedback. We'd build a second draft. We'd share it again. And we'd build a plan and we'd realize "Ah, some of what we're asking our sales reps to do this year really isn't going to be realistic that we put in the first draft of the plan. So we need to revise it in the second draft and we'll get to where we need to, to where we want to be incrementally. And so you do have to remove the magical thinking. You have to think in, in terms of what ends up being the plan for the sales rep. So you do have to like allow them to understand why the company's making the change and allow them to opt in to having the right attitude for it. And you have to be realistic in terms of building a plan that works for your reps and your top reps and are, and people are going to continue to see success all around them in the sales organization. So there's something about what you said that I think needs to be highlighted. And that was in your example where you're talking about new commission plans and you had a first draft and then you had a second draft. But what caught my attention about that is that you're being transparent with making it an iterative process. And when I'm thinking about how do you successfully execute a change management exercise or communicate change, part of it has to do with establishing trust at a baseline level and creating that culture of collaboration. So I don't want to let go of that point. I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about how you set the stage for those bigger conversations through a series of smaller conversations that built trust and transparency in the organization. So we would have a, I think it was a Monday morning, all hands with the sales team. And we, and a lot of times I would have other leaders besides myself within the sales organization run it. And when I could start to see that on the horizon, there was going to be changes. This conversation started at the executive level, at the board level. And to me, it became clear like where it was going. I started to make sure that I had, I did a little bit more of communicating myself at those meetings. And because I do think it's, I thought it was great to have other people take over, but then I was like, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit more of it myself than I have been doing. Cause I want to spend a little bit more time on the communication myself. I would plan on what I wanted to communicate and I would just try to bring it in little pieces at a time, just to the things that I saw that were going to be happening in the future, warning people about that ahead of time, not your compensation plan is going to be blown up, but Hey, we're thinking about how we're going to do territories next year. And these are some of the changes that we're thinking about putting in. When you start to build, it doesn't need to be like complete transparency. You don't need to go in with messages that people are going to be angry about, but start to lay the groundwork for the changes that people might expect. My my father-in-law is a retired dentist, but he pokes and prods in people's mouth. And he would always say, he creates a lot of pain in your mouth, but he would always say, people are generally okay with it if you tell them what's coming. <laughs> you tell them right before you do it. And so to me, part of creating that trust is trying to look out into the future and giving them some ideas about what to expect and not just springing people, springing major changes on people at the last minute without having laid any of the groundwork ahead of time. So I like what you mentioned in terms of giving people some advance notice. In addition to creating that habit of, hey, advance notice, here's what might be coming down the road. How did you leverage that to create space for feedback and modification as part of that process? Yeah, I'm not sure. I did some things to do that, but I'm not sure if I did enough to do that. The things that I did was a couple of things that I did to try to create that environment was that... I would try to block time on my calendar every week for an office hours. And I would tell the sales organization, hey, whatever it was, like Thursday afternoon, I want you, I want anyone in the sales organization that has anything that they want to talk with me about to put time on my calendar to talk with me about it. And so that was part of it was like making my, like a certain time each week where my calendar was available to anyone in the sales organization for anything they want to talk about. The second thing was, me reaching out to people relatively randomly within the sales organizations and asking to set 30-minute meetings with them where I would just pull them on what was going well for them, what wasn't going well for them, what how the company was supporting them, how the company can do a better job supporting them. And those were a couple of the things that I did that I thought I think were effective. I think that it's probably better to have a better plan, a more comprehensive plan than what I had, but those were but I do think that those two things were both effective for me. So there's an interesting aspect about what you mentioned, the random 30-minute meetings. I think that's a great idea. And if you're pairing that with your standard sort of one-on-one cadence, that's like supercharging it. But one of yeah. the things that I'm curious about, and I don't really know what size the organization was at when you did these random 30-minute meetings, but how did you avoid the potential hurt feelings or friction from that manager might perceive that random 30-minute meeting with somebody that's at the line level as, oh, you're trying to step on my toes? What was your process for dealing with that potential landmine? Uh, It was just to set the expectations that we do skip levels. We are always trying to collect feedback from our sellers on how to empower them, how to do a better job with them. And I think that it becomes a landmine when you don't do it regularly and you don't have that expectation. And I think that it diffuses the landmine if it's, this is how we do things, is that I talk to people at every level of the sales organization. I'm going to talk to the managers, the directors, the sellers, the SDRs. And and so I think just, and if you're not the head of sales, if you're a director, 
for instance, I think that you can have that same expectation with on your within your team that, hey, you managers who report to me, I'm going to meet with you, but periodically I'm going to meet with people on your team as well. I think having that expectation and doing it regularly makes it make keeps it from it being like, why are you meeting with this person? This is out of this is out of order. This isn't, and then you don't get the suspicion or the worry when it just is like a regular part of what you do. I'd like you to expand it a little bit more because I think you and I both know that there is a lot of sales managers that are out there in the world of work who, to borrow a phrase that you used earlier, are spreadsheeting their way to success. And I think what you're describing where you're spending that limited time that you have in one-on-one conversations, that's actually much more valuable. So let's say you're one of those managers that tends to manage by the numbers. How do you create the space and the habit of being consistent in those one-on-one conversations that actually set you up for success whenever you have these change management decisions or events coming up? It's blocking the time on your calendar, like having a certain time you're going to do it each week or each month where I'm going to have, hey, I'm going to have two hours of meetings or on the third Thursday of the month or one hour of people every other Thursday or 30 minutes every Tuesday and Thursday, like finding the time for this is when I'm going to do it, blocking the time, communicating to your first, probably to your direct reports that to that man, to those managers saying, Hey, part of me understanding what's going on in the sales organization and doing everything I can to help us succeed is that I'm going to start doing skip levels somewhat randomly. I've blocked, I've allocated this amount of time to do it. And then letting everyone else know that you're going to be inviting people to meet with you and the reason that you're doing it. And so I'm not saying that there wouldn't be some managers who would push back on it, but I just think it's a a very sort of reasonable thing to do is as long as you communicate it the right way and those managers understand. And and I don't really think that a manager who's has much of a leg to stand on to say, okay, it's fine that you do skip levels, but don't do them with my people. I'd be very concerned if I had a manager who responded in that way to, to something just standard that I'm doing. I want to switch gears a little bit and bring it to the rep level, but bring it to the rep level from a customer success perspective. Yeah. So we're talking about communicating change and communicating drastic change in a way that's, uh, that's effective. So- Let's say you're leading an organization, you have a a strong group of existing customers that are paying and re-upping, and one of the initiatives that's announced internally in the organization is that prices are going to increase for support and for uh, new licenses for the next year. And you can, anybody that's listening to this, that's been part of the sales organization, you can probably hear the response that the customer success organization is going to have, and they're going to be like, oh my God, everybody's going to leave. How am I going to tell my existing accounts that there's going to be a price increase this year, next year? So when you face that sort of scenario and you're looking at the desk level account manager or customer success manager that's in charge of renewals and they have to communicate a price change, how do they set the stage with their customer that something like this might be happening so that they have a better chance of that conversation going well? Yeah. So I think, first of all, in the conversation with the customer success manager and helping them understand what's going on, the thing, the first thing I would say is I would hope it would be a, a data-based decision. And so I think that you want to be able to bring the data to the customer success manager. And I think that the data could be of the flavor of, look, we have big, we have really good reasons to think that our customers aren't going to leave us over this and, or we can't continue to operate under the old way. 
And so even if we don't have really good data, the only way for us to, to get to where achieve our goals as a business is to make these changes. And so I think bringing that data to the conversation, because I think it's really understand that people really important that people understand the why of these changes. And then at the same level, I, I think that there's a perhaps a twist on the data and it's maybe not as as detailed, but there's something that you want to bring to the customer as well in terms of, hey, these are the changes that we're making. This is why, and this is how it's going to, to benefit you. So I, I think that like all communications, it's, it's important to put together a plan, to spend time on making sure you're doing a good job of it and, and helping the people that are affected by it understand the reasons for it. All of that is solid. And if I draw a parallel from what you described earlier, I think the same principles apply in that circumstance, which is you have to create the habit and the relationship for those tougher conversations up front. So if you're an account manager or customer success manager or rep, and you're not in regular contact with the people that you serve, and in this case, this would be a customer, any message is going to be received poorly because a relationship isn't there. So you have to have those sort of micro conversations first and make sure that you're setting the stage well. Really solid stuff, Lucas. I appreciate you walking us through the process of building an effective communication and change management plan. I think there's a lot of stuff here that's going to be useful for those sales leaders that are out there that are trying to do the same thing. So when you think back to all the stuff that we've talked about so far, for those listeners out there, what are the two or three things that you feel are critically important for them to keep in mind when they're trying to build this highly effective communication culture? I think number one is for the context that you're in, trying to figure out what the appropriate level of transparency is. I think it's important to be transparent, but there are some times where there's confidential information involved and stuff like that. And so trying to bring the appropriate level of transparency to a communications challenge. Number two, I think that the bigger the organization gets, the more complicated the communication becomes. I mentioned how every 18 months, the job was a little bit different. In my last 18 months at ZipWhip, I, I spent a lot more time thinking about how do I communicate the right way to this big group of people? Whereas in the first 18 months, I could just go and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with everyone quite easily. And so the communication gets more complicated and you, as a leader, you really want to like have, be very deliberate and be very thoughtful in those all the time, but in a different way in a large organization. And then I think the third is when you're dealing with changes, bring the reasons that you're making the changes to the conversation that ties in again to the transparency. So those are the three points that I would, that I'd come back to. This has been a great conversation and it's, it's a pretty cool experience to have sort of the founder's corner and sharing a lot of the insights that you picked up that eventually led to a successful exit. So I think for those who are listening to the show, they're going to get a lot of valuable insights from the conversation. There's a few things that stand out to me when I think about this conversation that we had. If the goal is to successfully communicate massive change or drastic change effectively, I think the first thing that you need to do is well before that change needs to be communicated, you need to be building a habit of creating that communication culture. If you're not doing your one-on-ones, if you're not giving people insights or, or visibility into the things that are going on that are relevant, you're setting yourself up for failure because there's not going to be any trust that's established within that organization 
or within your team to receive that big, complicated message. So you have to build the habit early. So don't skip on that when you're looking at success factors for this. The other thing that stands out is the point that you made about setting the stage. So there may be big changes that are coming. And like you mentioned, your father-in-law is a dentist and he makes a habit of poking around in people's mouths. But most people are okay with that if you let them know that, hey, this thing that might be coming is going to twinge a little bit. So I think that's an important lesson when we're talking about communication and change management and not surprising people. If you're giving people the right level of visibility, that makes it more likely that message, that eventual message is going to be received well. So I think those two things uh, are really good foundational habits. And then certainly if you can embed a communication culture across your organization where you're regularly doing skip level office hour meetings. Those are all going to be helpful. So I think that's really important stuff. For those of you who have been listening to the conversation, if you want to find out more or you want to continue the conversation, you can find Lucas or I on LinkedIn. You can certainly email lucas at yardstick.team. If you want to learn more about Yardstick, go to yardstick.team and uh, check out the website. There's a lot of resources there for you to, to get up to speed. If you like this series, if you like the Founders Features series, give Lucas an email and let him know what other topics are going to be important for you to learn about as, uh, as you're on your own journey from 1 million to 100 million ARR. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Leave us a review and then tune in next time where we will be sharing more insights that's going to help you build an elite sales team. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.